tonight, Gretchen Carlson took on sexual harassment at Fox News and won, paving the way for the Me Too movement. Now the former anchor is fighting her next battle, ending the rules that favor abusers, silence workers, and sweet misconduct under the rug. Her push to create a safe workplace for all as Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin, the JPB Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. We last spoke with Gretchen Carlson here on Metro Focus back in 2017 at the height of the Me Too movement, when the former Fox News anchor became a leading voice in the war against sexual harassment in the workplace. Her lawsuit against the now deceased Fox CEO Roger Ailes inspired other women to tell their stories and paved the way for a nationwide reckoning and movement. But that lawsuit was only the beginning of Carlson's journey and of her advocacy to clean up the American workplace. Along with her former Fox News colleague, Julie Rajinsky, Carlson co-founded Lift Our Voices, a nonprofit dedicated to ending workplace rules that favor harassers and abusers. Carlson was instrumental in the passage of two bipartisan bills passed by Congress and signed by President Biden last year. One, limiting the use of confidentiality agreements, also known as NDAs, and the other, ending the practice of forced arbitration in sexual harassment cases. And she's not stopping there. Carlson now wants to take on the toxic workplace culture that she says impacts workers of all backgrounds. So back with us tonight as part of our ongoing Chasing the Dream initiative is journalist, advocate and author, Gretchen Carlson. Gretchen, it's so great to have you back on the show. Jenna, hard to believe that that much time has passed. <laughs> Some days it feels like it was yesterday and others it feels like a, a long time ago, but certainly a lot of work has happened since then. Absolutely. I do believe time slippage will be the way we describe this period. <laughs> in history. But even though I touched a little bit at the beginning on some of your story, I'm wondering if you could share with the audience who might not know what you can share with us about uh, your lawsuit at Fox. Yeah, so on July 6th, 2016, I jumped off the cliff and decided to sue my boss, uh, the former CEO and chairman of Fox News, Roger Ailes, for sexual harassment. I basically had no idea what was going to happen to me the next moment, the next day, the next week, and there was no safety net underneath me at all. But really the decision, um, a long thought out decision came to pass because a career that I had killed myself for after 30 years in journalism and rising to the top of my profession was taken away from me and it wasn't my choice. And I decided finally, if I don't stand up and tell the truth, who will? And 
the inspiring people in my life were my parents, my husband and my children, who I felt that I owed it to because I think a lot of us thought we had solved this in our generation, but we hadn't and we still haven't. And I really felt a responsibility to try and make it better for them. Now, for people who would be listening closely, perhaps for any juicy details or something, would note that you were very careful in your language. And so I also wanted to know if you can sort of explain to us what role NDAs played in uh, your story and how you saw them as a problematic tool, especially for people dealing with sexual harassment in the workplace. Yeah, so NDAs are one of the two evil ways that companies silence you. And most people have no idea that they've signed these parts of their agreements. So um, I had an NDA when I started at Fox. One third of all Americans have these kinds of NDAs that they sign on the first day of employment. They think they're just signing an NDA to protect trade secrets, which I agree with. But NDAs have become so much more expansive to include anything that happens to you at work you can't talk about. So that meant that the behavior that I was experiencing there, I could not warn other people about. I couldn't you know, go to any other women and say, is this same thing happening to you? Because that would have violated that NDA. The kind of NDA that I signed upon resolution with Fox um, is sort of the old school way of resolving these issues. And back in 2016, I just thought it was part of the process, right? I mean, it was such a blur to me what was going on. Um, everything was so unexpected. The idea that we even came to a res resolution and they said, you know, so you sign away your right to ever be able to talk about all the details. I did get two monumental things, however, that were very progressive at that time, which was number one, I got a public apology from Fox, which by the way, is all any woman ever wants because it's validating. And I also got the ability to speak about sexual harassment and misconduct in the workplace, and I have taken full advantage of that. What I didn't get was the ability to tell what really happened to me. And the way I look at it now is if I would have known back then that I would have been instrumental in igniting an international movement and that I would then champion working to make workplaces safer for all and getting rid of NDAs, if I would have known that just six and a half years later, we'd actually be talking about not using NDAs anymore, I would have never signed that. But I had no way of knowing any of that. And so that was sort of the status quo at the time. But, you know, Jenna, I, I truly believe that it doesn't, it matters in the sense that I think it's totally wrong that people can't own their own voices and their own truths. And that's what I'm fighting for. But I've still done everything I possibly can within those parameters to change the environment for millions of other people. And that is what I think is the most important thing. And just again, for people who might not either realize, like you said, that they've already signed an NDA um, or perhaps that hasn't been part of their uh career path or their job workplace. Um, what is the silencing mechanism that uh, those types of contracts tend to include that keep your mouth shut about certain issues? Yeah, so as I said, one third of all Americans sign these on the first day of work. That's millions of people. They think that they're just signing, you know, to not like take a recipe, a secret recipe and go across the street and give it to a competitor, right? But in essence, they've become so expansive over the last three to four decades that they can't talk about your pay. Um, you can't talk about harassment if it happens to you. 
you can't talk about anything. And the problem is that people usually don't realize they've signed this until something bad does happen to them. And then they go to a lawyer and the lawyer says, you can't talk about this. That's when they find out. And so, you know, what I'm trying to do is educate people now to look at their contracts, look at your handbook. Sometimes companies actually send you an email and just by clicking on the email, you agree to the NDA without even knowing it. So you have to be very, very vigilant and careful about what you're signing. But NDAs are just one part of the evil. There's also something called forced arbitration, mm -hmm. um, which is the second evil way that companies silence you. I also had a forced arbitration clause in my contract at Fox. They put one in my last contract. And even as an educated woman, I did not understand the ramifications of what that meant either. And when I assembled my legal team and was thinking about bringing a lawsuit, it was a dark day when they said to me, Gretchen, you have no case because you also have a forced arbitration clause. And I said, what are you talking about? I mean, I, I've got all this stuff. And they were like, it doesn't matter. You're going to the secret chamber called arbitration where no one will ever hear from you ever again. And if you want, we can talk about forced arbitration. Yeah, actually, I would say unpack that a little bit more so yeah. we all are crystal clear. Yeah, I mean, these are kind of wonky issues. And this is the problem that companies have been able to get away with people not understanding these issues. Before the pandemic, when I would go speak to thousands of people in person, I would ask them, raise your hand if you know if you have signed a forced arbitration clause or an NDA in your contract, nobody raised their hand. People just don't understand this stuff. Okay, so forced arbitration basically is signing away your Seventh Amendment right to a jury. If something bad happens to you at work and you have a forced arbitration clause, you cannot file a public lawsuit. And I'm talking about human rights violations like sexual misconduct, racism, LGBTQ plus racism, age, disability, all of the, the protected classes have somehow over time been able to be, be thrown into this secret chamber of arbitration instead of the court system. And so when you go to arbitration, the deck's stacked against you from the first day because the company usually picks the arbitrator for you. What's fair about that? They have a lot of arbitration cases, but this is your only shot. So arbitrators come back for repeat business and companies hire them back because they found in favor of the company. So you're walking into a situation where you're already down and there are no witnesses, um, not the same amount of witnesses and depositions in arbitration. The killer is that there are no appeals and it's secret. So the predator or the wrongdoer probably gets to stay on the job because nobody knows this is going on. And 99.9% .9 of the time, the complainant who comes forward and has the courage to do that is forced into arbitration and fired from their job, and they never, ever work in their chosen profession ever again. And that was really what motivated me. When I started finding this out, and thousands of people started reaching out to me, telling me the same eerie story about what had happened to them, and they had all been forced into secrecy and arbitration, I was like, I got to roll up my sleeves and do something about this. I mean, I, I felt like I owed it to all these people who never, ever got justice that I needed to make sure that in the future people would get justice. So that's what forced arbitration is. Never the intent of arbitration. It was supposed to be for small business disputes, you know, for like 300 bucks if you had a dispute with your neighbor so that you would unclog the court systems. It was never, never supposed to be adjudicating human rights violations at work. And that's what I'm seeking to change.
So then with that, I mean, rolling up your sleeves and getting to work, you actually did get to work with one of probably the most challenging, let's say, uh, governmental bodies, and that is Congress. But you actually got some stuff done. Legislation got passed and laws got signed. I know. Uh, I mean, it's it's so surreal when I think about it because I have the the two um, presidential photos uh, from the signings from last year in my in my home office, and I look at them sometimes, and I'm like, I did that. Wow. I mean, I was part <laughs> of that um, because we do live in the most hyper political time of our generation, arguably, um, and it also makes it seem like it was just you know like oh we introduced it and we passed it and that was that and i you know i have to tell you this was a five year slog this was this was a tremendous amount of time walking the hallways of congress which is what i started doing there were other organizations that were actively working on these issues obviously before me but it was sort of like the perfect storm because they had all the institutional knowledge that i didn't have in the beginning and i had that sort of you know, credibility and and a well-known star power kind of case. So we, it was great for us to come together and I could be this advocate that could kind of bring it more attention. And really what we tried to do was strategize around how to get more Republicans on board because this tends to be more of a democratic issue. And we need, we knew that we needed 10 Republicans in the Senate to get past the filibuster. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, the House at that time was controlled by Democrats, but we still wanted to have a, a, a big bipartisan showing. So I just had a tremendous amount of meetings. Um, and actually, my kids got involved with me every time that I would get another person to join on. We had a, a poster board in my kitchen and like we would check off another name and do a happy dance in in the kitchen. So, you know, first I got one senator, then I got three, then I got five, then I got eight, then I got nine. When I got 10, I was like, oh, my gosh, we're you know, we're going to do this. Um, and, and so in February of last year, it passed uh, the House overwhelmingly, got 113 Republicans to vote for it. Huge bipartisan effort. Three days later, it went to the Senate. It was unanimous uh, in the Senate. And uh, then on March 3rd, I stood with the president and vice president in the East Room in the White House, um, which was such an honor of my life, um, and, and spoke about these bills and, and got a chance to introduce the president. And then he signed it. And there were so many other survivors there that day. And it was just such a victory for people who have been shoved into silence. Well, now, because you also mentioned um, when we were talking a moment ago about this affecting uh, lots of different um, marginalized groups, not just women broadly, but people of color, uh, LGBTQ discrimination, et cetera. So I'm wondering for the laws that were passed, do they just focus on sexual harassment or does it focus on all kinds of workplace harassment? Yeah, Jenna, that's such a fantastic question. Um, so the laws that passed, uh, the Speak Out Act then for NDAs passed, uh, was signed by the president on December 7th last year. So we, we passed two of the biggest labor law changes in the last 100 years in a span of eight months. They only deal with sexual misconduct. So not just harassment, any kind of sexual misconduct, including assault. Um, but the strategy was to go in and take a bite out of the apple and try and find bipartisan support just in this narrow bill. Because I knew from covering politics for as long as I did, that we were never going to get both parties to come on board to protect everyone, even though I full heartedly believe that we should. My organization, Lift Our Voices, our mission is to protect all protected classes. So our strategy was, let's go in with what my personal story was first, 
as an advocate, try and get these laws passed. We've already done the hard work. And I can tell you right now, we're actually working on the next protected class to add to the arbitration bill. So the strategy is, is working out. Um, it's not everything we wanted by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still a huge victory and a huge step forward. And we're already seeing the movement now to get um, more members of Congress on board for other protected classes. Well, the Speak Out uh, lock, am I correct? The Speak Out law now? Yes, so the Speak Out Act has to do with uh, pre-dispute NDAs. Again, it's a little okay. wonky. Um, so <laughs> these, are the, these are the one third of all Americans who signed NDAs on their first day of work. So gazillions of people, right? If they face sexual misconduct at work, and they signed one of these things, even if they signed it 20 years ago, and they haven't yet filed a lawsuit, they own their own voice. They cannot be subject to an end. So retroactive. It is. So is the arbitration bill. So it's retroactive if you have not yet done a formal legal proceeding. So for example, with arbitration, if you're already in arbitration, and then our law passed March 3rd last year, you can't get out of that proceeding. But if you haven't yet gone to arbitration, and even if the company's forcing you to go into it, and it's after March 3rd of last year, you have rights. You do not have to go to arbitration. And I spend a lot of time, Gemma, now explaining this law, not only to just regular citizens and employees, but even to lawyers, because so many laws pass and it takes a while for you know people to get up to speed on, on what the new laws are um, and for companies to abide by them. So the same thing with the Speak Out Act, December 7th, that passed. If you have not yet filed a legal complaint about sexual misconduct at work, you have your voice, you own it, you own your story. So this is the first time the federal government has actually put down a marker on what they think about NDAs. That's why it was so huge. Again not as vast as we wanted it to be. We wanna get rid of NDAs for everything, for all mm -hmm. protected classes. And we wanna get rid of NDAs for settlements too, which has happened in three states so far where we've been doing our work through Lift Our Voices. We believe that people should be able to own their, their own voice in every part of their workplace environment. And that in that way, they're the ones that take the power back to decide whether or not they wanna talk about the story. Well, when you were talking about uh, the importance of moving on to other protected groups, I mean, taking that first step um, with sexual harassment for women, but moving on to other protected groups, um, how is it that uh, NDAs and forced arbitration can compound the negative impact for marginalized communities like we mentioned, like um, for racial harassment, for uh, sexual identity or that type of sexual harassment, how does that compound the damage that's done to the careers, perhaps, um, when someone is dealing with an NDA or forced arbitration for filing yeah. a complaint? Great, great, great question. So unfortunately, with forced arbitration, the highest percentage of people affected are African-American women. So the stats are horrendous. It's almost 60% of all African-American women have forced arbitration clauses in their handbooks or in their work contracts. Um, the second highest group are minimum wage workers. 
So arguably, the more disenfranchised you are in society, the more disenfranchised you are at work too with silencing mechanisms. And we don't think that's okay. And so that is how it's compounded. We also hope that now that we've passed these laws for sexual misconduct, you know, imagine how this plays out now at work. If you're in a cubicle and you're being sexually harassed and you don't have to go to secrecy anymore, but the person sitting next to you maybe is African-American and is being racially discriminated against and they wanna bring a complaint, but they still have to go to the secret chamber of arbitration and sign an NDA. We believe that's completely unfair. And we believe that eventually not only will employees come to realize that and say something about it, or companies will realize that the train has left the station as I always tell them, and it's best to get on board now and change your policies for everyone so that you're being fair to everyone and owning their own voice at work. Of course. So given what all you've been able to accomplish, and again, we've already said 2017 doesn't feel like it was that long ago. And yet in the arc of things that have at least been addressed, it also feels like a long, long time ago. Do you feel as though enough uh, attention, long-term attention, not in the white hot moment of the Me Too movement, but long-term attention and change has come to the way this country addresses uh, harassment in the workplace. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a surreal experience for me because I'm so entrenched in this on a daily basis that that it's all I pretty much think about. So I feel like we've made immense progress. But if I take a step away and look, I still feel that way because of the legislation that we've passed and the education that we've been doing to make people aware of these issues at work. You know, sometimes I read reports uh, in the media that that say. Oh, well, nobody cares about the Me Too movement anymore. And I say, wait a minute, like we're just getting started. Like we have so much more work to do, but we've made so much progress. When you think back to when, when I filed my case, women weren't being believed. I mean, that's crazy to say, but they weren't being believed, right? In this short span of time, I believe that that has changed dramatically. Predators were not being held accountable. You know, Roger Ailes, got a $40 million payout when he was fired. That's not happening anymore. When Les Moonves at CBS got fired for sexual misconduct, they took his 20 million or 40 million and gave it to women's groups. I mean, so a huge shift and change. And men are being held accountable. They're being fired for conducting themselves in this way at work. So that alone um, is, is immense progress. Do we still have a lot of work to do? Tons, because I always say that changing culture is actually much more difficult than passing bipartisan legislation twice in the most hyper-political time of our generation. And that's saying a lot. I was gonna say that is definitely saying a lot. I do wonder though, given you know what you just described about how uh, men who are more often than not, I'm assuming, uh, harassers and abusers in the workplace, but how you're handling the pushback to that. Because a lot of what you were describing just now would, you know, fit under what some people are now pejoratively calling woke culture and sort of dismissing under that headline. How do you deal with that kind of pushback to something that is so uh, critical and essential the way you're describing it? Yeah, or we heard, you know, that now men won't go out to lunch with female colleagues or they won't do a 
evening event with them and that they won't hire as many women as a result. That's a cop-up, okay? That is an old school way of looking at this. You know, what about what about saying that we're going to get rid of the bad people, the bad apples, and we're going to actually celebrate the people who have the courage to come forward and say something's not right. And by the way, I want to make sure that I say that it's not like, you know, all men are these bad apples. The majority of men want safe working environments for their colleagues who happen to be women. And so this is a moment for us to come together, men and women, to say that we're going to fix this and that we're actually going to get rid of the bad actors and protect the people that have had something terrible happen to them. We shouldn't force those people out of the workplace. That is just so wrong and it's it's so backwards thinking. We should be listening to them, doing an independent investigation, and if the claims prove to be true, they should continue working. And the bad actor is the one that leaves. Now, again, that sounds so simple on its face, but that is currently not what's happening in the majority of cases still. That's why I say changing culture is more difficult. But I invite men into the equation to help us with this. We need them. They still rule the world. They still are the CEOs of most Fortune 500 companies. And we need them to hire more people of color, to hire more women, to put them in positions of power. Because guess what happens when you put those protected classes higher up? You don't get sexual misconduct and race discrimination. So that is my message to inviting men into the equation to help us solve this once and for all and to change their policies. Okay. Well, we only have about 45 seconds left, uh, but I do want to ask, just based on your experience as a journalist, what did you take from your 30 years in the business into your advocacy work? <laughs> um, to never ever give up, you know, as a journalist that uh, when you start, you know, you know, you start and the middle and the end, um, it's all about cold calling and trying get, to get people to talk to you, and you get a tremendous amount of rejection. Um, that was certain, and you build a thick skin, right? Um, as a result of a yes, lot of you do. <laughs> right? I mean, journalism is highly competitive. You got to be a fighter. Um, so, you know, those skills have served me well in my advocacy work because I have to wake up every day with the same fire in my belly to get this stuff done. And uh, so it's very, uh, I see a lot of analogies between the two careers and uh, my journalism career has served me very well in the work that I'm doing now. Well, Gretchen Carlson, I want to thank you again for joining us here on Metro Focus and we look forward to hearing what comes next from Lift Our Voices. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to Metro Focus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with Metro Focus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play Metro Focus, the podcast. Also available at metrofocus.org, wliw.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.